1 John chapter 2, why don't we start with prayer. Father God, it is so good to be home. This is home. And uh, although vacations are refreshing, Lord, to be in the work, to be with the saints, to fellowship in communion with you, to hear your word, to have it rebuke us, change us, sanctify us, to become more like Christ. This is joy. This is peace. And Father, we pray that your spirit would come and help me to preach. Help uh, the saints to hear your word. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified. Your son would be glorified. We thank you for this time. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have the theme of this, uh, of this series of 1 John to be authentic Christianity. We know from... 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and on, it says that these things I have written to you who believe. Why don't we read that together? Let's do that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I'm reading from the NAS. If you have an ESV, we'll forgive you. But we're reading from the NAS. Let's go ahead and read together. Just so we reiterate, we understand, we absorb the theme together. Let's do this. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And we know that the Apostle John, he's also called the Apostle of Love. He's writing from the island of Patmos. He is imprisoned and he is writing his last few letters to this church. And what he starts to talk about is the assurance and the wonderful confidence that a Christian has knowing that they are saved. In fact, knowing where my life is headed when I die. Knowing where my, uh, when I die and I, there is a heaven that I will be with him. And he cycles through three different types of evidences that the Christian can lean on. Three different evidences. First, the first evidence that he cycles through, and the reason why I say cycle is because he's going to say these three evidences, not once, not two times, he's just going to keep going over them. Okay? And the first one is right belief. Right belief. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, I, I could read this, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. In order for you to be a Christian, let's just start out with the very basics. In order for you to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus comes from heaven. That Jesus himself is God incarnate. That Jesus himself put on flesh. You cannot be a Christian without right doctrine. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge kind of belief nowadays that you can be, well, I could be a Christian and I could believe anything I want. I could be a Christian and believe things that are contradictory to Scripture. And yet the Bible says, no, you have to believe certain truths come from Scripture. You got to believe that Christ is, is God. You have to believe that he put on flesh and that he did that so he would die for the sins of man. Secondly, not only is there right belief, but there's also Radical obedience. And when I say radical obedience, it's not radical to the Christian. It's normal obedience. Okay? It's radical in the eyes of, of, of mankind around us. And we know that. You could write this from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 
It says, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. It is a behavior of life. Now, so what occurs in a Christian is when he or she puts their faith in Christ, the, the power of God regenerates that person, recreates that person such that they reach out in faith and have belief in Christ. And what happens is now there's evidences in their lives. The first one is right belief. They believe the right things about Christ. They might not know the whole totality of theology, but when they are taught it, they grasp onto it. The second one is radical obedience. That now their life they know no longer belongs to them. They are not, they are not behaving because of what their parents say. They're not behaving because of what is expected on them because of society or because of what is expected on them because of a church. But now I am, I have a God with whom I have to do. God sees me now. I live in Coram Deo, in his presence. And lastly, the next one we're going to talk about, right belief, radical obedience, real love. Real love. I remember in, um, back at uh, the church that sent us, we were there. I remember this young man claimed to be saved, and he, he was all excited at first. He was interested in evangelism. So much so, he started critiquing the church to evangelize more. He was saying, this church does not evangelize as it should. And perhaps there was truth in that. But he started to have a critical spirit. He didn't even want to fellowship anymore. He didn't even want to come to corporate worship anymore. He started to even dislike being around Christians. A few months later, he denied the faith. And he never went to any other church. You see, he had the right doctrine. He, even, he would espouse the right doctrine. He outwardly had the right obedience, but what he lacked was the very hallmark of what it means to be a Christian. He lacked love. It's not that he was saved and then he lost his salvation. The Bible says he never really was saved. And this was evidenced by his lack of love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. This is going to be our verses of concentration. And he says here, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Brothers and sisters, 
God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would love one another in the body of Christ. This is quite simply the, the preaching point of this verse. God gave this passage to you so that you would love one another in the body of Christ. Because Christ has changed your heart. Now your heart beats for God and for God's people. But this doesn't come without motivation. God gives us the motivations. But before that, I want to define what love is. Love can't be defined by the pop songs of today. It can't be defined by the Disney movies of today. It can't be defined by the movies of today. Or the politics that is shared when they say that love wins. What they really mean is, you can do whatever you want and have no consequences. That's what love is. That's not what love is at all. Love this agape love is what is talked about, is this sacrificial love. It is a love at expense of self. It is a love that seeks the good of the object, irrespective of any benefit gained or not gained. In fact, this kind of love is an agape love that the Greeks would teach. There's four or five different terms for love. It became a Christian term. Of the kind of love that God has for his people. Of the kind of love that Christians would have for each other. It is the love that says, I will love despite whether or not you love me back. The truest example, we know this in 1 John chapter 4. The truest example, since you're there, let's go there, of this love. He's going to give us this example. Chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, in this is love. What is it, John? What is your example of love? In this is love, not that we loved God. So, you can't be the example of love. You can't be the arbiter of love. You can't be the standard of love. Well, we're more caring than that party over there. This Democratic Party is more caring than the Republican Party. This Republican Party is better than the Democrat Party. This is better than that. We're better than them. You're not the standard, the Bible says. The standard is this, verse 11. In this is love, not that we loved God, but what? He loved agape us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So what is this example of what true love means? It is the example of God sacrificially giving his son, not so that he can come to a party, but so that he can die. The word there for propitiation, as we've seen before, is the blood sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath. So love not only serves as the Christian's highest task, but is also evidence that leads to the assurance of salvation. The Christian knows love to be his normal or her normal state of mind. His normal or her normal attitude. I've got to be loving one another. Now, in this text, there are two motivations to love as Christ would have you love. And in the first, first portion, the first portion, verses 7 8, first portion is love in obedience to God's commands. Love in obedience to God's commands. And you notice he says here, beloved, I like how he starts. I think, that, I think that many times, yes, are we sinners, but we are redeemed by grace. That's true. 
And oftentimes in our prayers, we always say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. This is true. We have been forgiven. But you know what? You'll be hard pressed to find that kind of language after someone is saved. Paul doesn't call them wretches anymore. He calls them beloved. Paul calls them, uh, Paul uses the term even beloved in Romans chapter 1. He says, to the beloved of God in, Ro in Rome. He calls them saints. He calls them the bride of Christ. And now John is saying beloved. And it is those who have experienced not only John's love, but God's love himself. And in fact, you will not have the power to drive this. You cannot kick your heart into gear to love others. Because you know why? We're ornery people. We're ornery people. We will sin against one another. What is going to keep us loving one another? It is the very fact that God himself loved us first. We need to know that and live this. He uses the term beloved six times. 1 John 2, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, three times. True love only comes from being loved by God. You're set free to love. You're no longer enslaved or preoccupied preoccupied with self-interest you're really set free to love others there are a couple aspects in verses 7 and 8 that talk about God's love first in this love his orders to love are timeless okay his orders to love are timeless he, because God's word is established he uses this word entelane which means his holy writ his order, his decree, his injunction, his ordinance. In Leviticus chapter 19, you don't have to turn here. The reason why John says, there's a couple reasons why he says, you have an old commandment. This is not new. This is not new stuff for you to learn. This is an old commandment. We know in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, you shall not take vengeance. You shall not bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And now John says, this is the command that you've had from the beginning. From the beginning. What beginning? From the beginning of when you were saved. When you were changed. You knew this to be right. Okay? I think it's still incredible to me when even in my life, and maybe you've experienced this, that when you came to Christ, and when God reconciled himself to you by his son, and you believed in Christ, you knew that the relationships around you, the ones that you have tainted, the ones that you have hurt, you knew you had to make them right. You had to at least attempt to make them right. You had to ask for forgiveness. You had to uh, attempt to reconcile with those who have sinned against you why because now you know that when you are saved this is the commandment that is given to you as christ loved now i should as well i can't live like this what causes that what pushes you christian is the love of christ himself he says this is the word which you have heard Notice, where did they hear this? There was echoes of Christ's word. Uh, go to, back to John chapter 15, where um, 
Mike read in John chapter 15. They heard the teaching of Christ uh, through scripture, through letters, through testimonies. In John chapter 15, I'll start from 12. You got to remember, John wrote 1 John. He also wrote the book of John. And so you know that they are enveloped and saturated in God's love. This is the preeminent thing that John himself has held. Yes, Christ is, is firstborn of all creation, as, as Paul would say. He is preeminent. We beheld his glory. It says here in uh, John, 1 John. But now he's saying this in John chapter 15 and verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you, this is Jesus speaking, okay? You love one another. You put one each other, you put each other first. Just as what? I have loved you. And so now the standard now is, well, I do this because you did this to me. Or I want to be kind to you because you did this to me. No, that's not the standard. Jesus doesn't say that's the standard. He says, I want you to love one another. Why? Because I loved you. And it says just as, that is a comparative term to mean like the kind of love that you receive is the kind of love that you should be giving. Oh, how rebuking that is. There are times in my life when I'm just hungry and tired. Tired and hungry. And if someone asks me one more thing, I don't think I have any more in me. Have you ever been there? I don't have any more in me. And in my sin, I may snap, have an outburst of anger, say things that I shouldn't say, and then have to sheepishly ask for forgiveness because of my sin. And yet Christ says, I don't want you to love like the best Angelo you are. I don't want you to love like the best Jeremy you are or Bonnie, or Ellen. I want you to love as I did. Wow. It's no wonder he calls us to abide in him because the standard is too high. You're not going to be able to bring and rise this up out of yourself. It's got to be the power of Christ working in you, brothers and sisters. And when he does, it flows Albeit imperfect, but it flows, amen? And it gives glory to him. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Notice verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I may give to you. Verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. Look at verse, um, look at verse 8 and 9. You got to read this, okay? And you have to see it in context. He says, my Father is glorified by this, okay? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, Okay. So this is, I believe, fruit of ministry, okay? Motivated by what? It says here, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. 
what Jesus is saying is that as we come together, notice this is loving one another. Will people know of our acts of love to the outside world? Absolutely. They will see that when we act in love and in kindness to the outside world. But what is he saying? He's saying this. When people see us together, believers, when they see us loving one another, when they see us sacrificing for one another, when they see us in communion and in community with one another, by this my Father is glorified in heaven. They see it and they can't have a rhetoric against it. They can't explain why peoples from different groups, from different backgrounds are together and they still love one another. They can't explain why we bear with one another's sins. They can't explain why we're still unified. They can't explain why we're still together standing. Why? It's simply because of God's working in our heart. Brothers and sisters, the way we express love to one another shouts to the world. What Christ's love is like. I can't tell you how many times unbelievers even come to weddings from our sending church. When they come to weddings and they say, where did you hire all these caterers? These are not caterers. These are people in our church. They go, what? They're doing this because they love the couple. What? Absolutely. And they marvel. And they say, what is going on here? Okay. This is a this is the hallmark of a Christian. Do not be ashamed of this, brothers and sisters. We're family, amen? Now, this love also encompasses all of God's commands. Matthew 22, and I'll read this to you. This is a familiar passage. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these things, the two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And Jesus sums everything up this way. If, I, if you don't know what to do, you ever been there? Let love be your guide, brothers and sisters. Oftentimes, we are stuck with what is the wisest thing to do, what is the most prudent thing to do? What, is, what, should, what kind of decision? Let love and love for God and love for that person. What is their best good? Let that be your guide. Why? Because Jesus told us. All the things of the laws and the prophets, they all rest in love, brothers and sisters. This is not a minor thing. So don't let theologians fool you. You got to know the finer things of theology. You got to know, you got to know every single uh, point of tulip. You've got to know all these. No, brothers and sisters, that's not even a mark of maturity what John is talking about. All those things are important. I don't want to say they're not. But the marks of a Christian, brothers and sisters, are right belief, obedience, and love. Let love drip from your family. Let love drip from you. It is the mark that Christ has done something in your life. Amen? It's also because God's character is unchanging. Let me read back in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 
1 John chapter 4. Verse 16, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Here it is. Okay, This is wonderful. Look at this. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Notice he says, we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. I know that I can love. I know that I have the capacity to love now because God's first work in me. I'll tell you, as even as, if, as, as sinful and as impatient as I am now, God has changed me a lot from where I was. And God, and the reason why, and I could only attribute it to, to how did God remove the bitterness in my heart of folks who have sinned against me? How did God remove that? How did he do that, right? Or of the unforgiveness that I haven't given to other people, right? I've withheld love. How did God do that in my heart? How did he make, how did that happen in my life? It had to be God first working. Why? He's the source. He's the fount. God is love. And when God grabs a hold of your heart, you can't help but care. The scary thing is when you don't care. The scary thing is when you don't care about the welfare of others. The scary thing is when you are first and foremost and you don't, there's not even a blip in your heart about who someone's spiritual welfare or about someone else in the church. That is frightening. Because God always changes. He always changes a person when he saves them. Now, his orders are also, his orders to love are also relevant. They're relevant. He says, he calls it in 1 John chapter 2, he says that it is in verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. Okay, I thought you said it was an old commandment, but why are you saying it's new? This word new doesn't necessarily mean newness in consequence or newness in sequence. This word new means uh, freshness. But how is it fresh now? Okay. In comparison to the Old Testament, how is it fresh? Now notice what he says. I think this is absolutely astounding. Notice he says this in verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. How is it new? It is new because of the freshness and the vividness and the color that him, who is the him, of course this is Christ, that now Christ incarnate shows what love is. And so what John is saying is, if you want to see the love of God, study the life of Christ. He is a fount of love. It is a new commandment expressed new in 4D. Can you say 4D or is it 4K? That's 4K, right? In 4K, not HD anymore. In 4K, what love is. 
It's expressed in the Son of God. Amen. It's seen in his perfection. You want to understand the perfect, the perfect expression of love? It is seen in Christ himself. Notice. Let me read some verses for you, okay? Let me read some verses. John 13. Now, before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He won't leave you. He's not going to say, oh, you sinned enough. That's, you, you professed me, and now you sin against me, and I'm going to just leave you. He's not going to leave you. He will love you to the end. He's going to make sure you make it. He's going to preserve your faith. You're going to make it because he's going to love you to the end. He says in John 23, as he is on the cross, brothers and sisters, okay? Sometimes we have hard days, right? We come home from work. You come home from work. Uh, moms, you'll be doing all this stuff and you have a million things in your mind, right? And you come home. And your kid asks you one thing and you just don't have the energy to respond in a godly manner. And you give yourself, because you're not trusting in Christ, you give yourself to temptation and you respond in sinfulness. Okay, Because you've been brought to the end of yourself. That's not an excuse. You have Christ. You have the resources of Christ. But you have allowed yourself to be tempted to that point and you fell into it. Now notice... If anyone was ever pushed in temptation to revile in judgment and in wrath, it was Christ himself. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was spit upon. And he is on the cross. And he could say, Father, I'm done with them. Kill them all. He doesn't say that in Luke chapter 23. Verse 34, he says, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And Jesus is on the cross, and he keeps giving, and he keeps giving. He doesn't say, I have no more. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? He doesn't say, I have no more to give. See, this is where your fount of love is going to be, brothers and sisters, when it is tested. This is where you will have power when you see the new commandment in Him. Luke 23, 42. You remember, as, as the thief who is penitent is on the cross, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. I have no agenda. I don't want to make deals with you. Whatever you do with me is just fine. Just remember me. I ask you to just remember me. That is the penitent Christian, right? That is the heart of the Christian. Just remember me. I deserve hell. I know it. And he said to me, at the end of his life, brothers and sisters, Christ says, 
Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There are times when you're empty and you've had it. And yet Christ is not like that. How do you know this love? It is in Him. I was talking when, and I think you guys heard me, I've never heard Phil preach like that. Never heard him preach like that when he came for our anniversary. And uh, I was talking to one Marine in the back. He's a good friend of mine. And he looked at me and he said, this kind of love would transform society. I said, yes. Families, yes. And it's all rooted in, his, in Christ's humility. I said, yes. That is right. I was talking to another sister. You guys know her. Who just came to Christ. And she said. This is a foreign love. It absolutely is. Brothers and sisters. Let not. Don't let. Don't cover this up. Brothers and sisters. Don't say. Oh let's just. Have it in our family. And let's just. Protect it in our family. Brothers and sisters. Let the light shine. And invite that neighbor to dinner. I just tell you, uh, here's a story. My wife and I were, we were at our, our gym, and I'm sitting there talking to one of the moms. I, I don't know why this happens, right? And I'm sitting there, and we're watching all of our kids. And, you know, she's, she's, a mili she's in the military. Her husband's in the military, just got deployed to... Uh, to Japan, right? We're glad to have Stephen back from Japan. Glad to have you. His, her husband got deployed to Japan. She's having a hard time with the kids, right? She's by herself. And I said, thank you for your service to our country. And she goes, I'm just, and just explodes and just starts weeping. I go, Chinette, come here. <laughs> I said, come here. She goes, I'm having a hard time. I can't do this and this and this and this. And we're just, our hearts are just broken. And we go home and say, honey, we got to have her for dinner. We got to show her love. Right? We got to do this. Why? Because what has happened in our lives is there is a Christ who cares for me that way. Right? There's a Christ who cares for the things in my life. There is a Christ. She needs to know that Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't be ashamed of this. Even if folks disagree with you and disagree with your theology, let them understand that you disagree with their theology, but love them to confuse them. It's so confusing. They go, you totally disagree with me. Yes. You totally love me. Yes. Do it. Then they start to go, huh, what is going on? There must be something to this Christ they keep talking about. Absolutely confuse them. No, I don't agree with that lifestyle, but I totally love you. That is Christ's power. That is the beautiful rhetoric of the church, brothers and sisters. That's why I love it when people come and meet you guys. It's the beautiful rhetoric of the church. Right? He says, not only which is in him, he is the fount 
He is the example. He is the motivation. He is the heart. He is who changed our lives. But it says, and in you. And in you. Now, what has occurred, it, it, um, in, even in, uh, this is an example of what happens is when God causes someone's heart to believe in him, to trust in him, now they have love for other people. They have love specifically for the brethren. Notice he says here, in, uh, I want you to turn to First Thess, and you have to see this. You have to see how this is in action, okay? This love, this love is not a little thing, okay? It's not a little thing. Look at it, First Thess, in chapter 4, okay? In verse 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, this is what? What does this mean? This is, he's talking about the same love John was talking about. This is the love that God has changed us into. This is the love that we now share with one another. This is because now we are family. And he says here, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. What is it in your heart? What is it that drives you? And you know it's not right if there's a relationship that's not right. If there's an unreconciled relationship that you need to get right. What is it that drives you to reconciliation? What is it that drives you to generosity? What is it that drives you to hospitality? It is God teaching you to be like his son. He says here, for indeed you do practice it to the love of all brethren. Now. I love, uh, as you guys know, I love baptisms, and I love to hear testimonies. I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Sometimes I think some, um, some of the youth who grow up in churches, they, they feel like, I don't really have a, as good a testimony as maybe an ex-drug dealer or something. I wish I had that kind. No, you don't. You don't wish you had that kind of testimony. Praise God that you're saved in a Christian family. That's that is the best testimony. But he says here, um, um, but what I wanted to say is, but a lot of times what you don't see and what comes out when they profess Christ is, I was a bitter and angry person. On the outside, you think they're just fine. But inside, they say, I was a bitter and angry person. And God has changed my heart such that I now love. What is that? That is the new commandment by the Holy Spirit that Christ himself exhibited in newness of life, right? In newness. And that is now in operation in your heart such that now you exude love. Don't cover it, Christian. Don't cover it, Christian. Be tender. And then he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We understand that to be that Christ is taking over. He is in control of the universe, but now he is taking it in its, uh, in its display, in its demonstration. And the true light is already shining. And when he comes, it will be completely light and darkness will be banished. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. But now, not only is there one motivation to love in obedience to God's commandments, 
right? But now we are called to love in demonstration of God's conversion. And I understand that these two things do overlap. You see, hate, someone who is habitually bitter and unrepentant about it, reveals a false conversion. The reason why I say false conversion, he says here in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother in the darkness until now. The one who says, this is the person who confesses a faith. He says that I am in light. He says that I am a Christian. He says that I have been saved. He says that I've, done, I've, I've been baptized. And he says I've done these things. But they're not saved. The person is not saved. And he says this reveals a false conversion. In Titus chapter 3, it says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. And then it says, hateful, hating one another. And then it says, what is it that changed us? But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. That's what changed us. But here I want to stress something. Hateful, the strong distaste or dislike of anyone. What occurs is, you may, as, as a person who does not know Christ, when you're around Christians, it bubbles up. The distaste. Why? Because you don't love the things of God. You don't love the people of God. And now this starts to arise in you. Okay? And this hate may not necessarily be someone that punches someone in the nose. Okay? That's not that kind of hate. But rather, this hate can be, uh, can be displayed simply by a withholding of love. A withholding of wanting to partake. A withholding of wanting to participate in life. A withholding of not wanting to share in life. The Bible calls that hate. But love reveals a true conversion. It says in verse 10, verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That is a commentary on verse 9. But the one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. Love reveals a true conversion. There is a fragrance of love in the Christian's life. I love my little fireplace at home. I never had a gas fireplace. I like it because I don't have to cut wood. I don't have to chop wood. All I have to do is just turn on the switch, light it, and it's on. And I just like the way it looks, you know. But what's true about it is, and, you know, we've been in San Diego so long, man, 70 degrees feels cold to me. Isn't that weird? We're like, oh, it's so cold. It's 70, right? <laughs> turn on the fireplace. So I turn it on for ambience, right? But even when you turn it on, you still feel the heat, don't you? Every fire has heat. Even down low, just as every fire emits warmth, every Christian, by necessity, emits love by necessity 
Why? I'm going to give you some verses and I'm going to just give you some explanations. You were elected by love. Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father. You guys know this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? You were purchased by love, brothers and sisters. Romans chapter 5 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You were regenerated because of love. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. You're protected by love. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? What does it say? I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You are marked by love. 1 John chapter 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you love believers? If you are a Christian and God has placed that in your life, let it shine. Stimulate yourself to love and good deeds. Stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Right? Go farther than where you have been before. Do more for Christ than what you've done before. And if this love is foreign to you, and if this love you have not experienced, I pray, Father, I pray that you would Go home and consider the love of Christ. He shares it freely with you. Why are you fighting love? Why are you fighting love? Why are you fighting love? Don't fight divine love. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for what you have done in Christ that we can rejoice we pray that we would grow in love and that we would express love that we would be motivated for by Christ's love and that we would aim to do and to love as Christ loved God forgive me forgive me for being so unloving at times so selfish forgive us God Help us to look to Christ, ask for forgiveness, move forward, and display this, uh, this hallmark of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.